am Andrea Boydman, and I'm the Executive Director of Osteoscience Foundation. I'm here with our science and education liaison, Dr. Myron Tucker, for Osteoscience Foundation's podcast series, Generations of Regeneration. And our guest today is Dr. Bob Goldberg, who is the Vice President and Robert and Leona DeArmond Executive Director of the Phil and Penny Knight Campus for Accelerating Scientific Impact at the University of Oregon. So uh, we're really excited to have Bob here with us today. He's been a part of our Scientific and Clinical Review Committee uh, at Osteoscience Foundation for the last few years and has been a real friend to our organization. So welcome, Bob, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Andrea, and, and sorry to make you say that mouthful of a title, but it's Did a I get, pleasure to be I here. Got and, that. Uh, okay. You're right. Uh, the card that you um, hand out must be like a postcard instead of just a business card, right? Uh, well, uh, we're, it's a pleasure to have you here, Bob. And the reason uh, that uh, we want you here uh, is we, we think that you're probably the most unique member of our um, scientific uh, review committee. Thank you. You were the first person um, that we invited to be on that committee that was... Uh, didn't have some clinical background in oral and maxillofacial surgery, and we've really appreciated all the biomedical engineering knowledge and, and uh, all the other experience that you've brought to this uh, committee and to our whole foundation. So um, if you could just um, start by giving us a rundown, and I know you have quite a long educational journey and kind of tell us where you started from undergraduate through um, your um, education and your um, initial positions and how you ended up where you are now. Sure, Myron. Well, let me just say, first of all, just working with the Osteoscience Foundation has been uh, an amazing journey and an incredible experience. So uh, working with the foundation and, and all the good they do to support research. And then, of course, the board of uh, very clinically focused uh, folks has really been fun for me. And uh, so uh, it's really been a pleasure. Um, I'll make my education really brief. I, I just went to one school. I, I went to the University of Michigan for all my degrees, uh, bachelor's, two masters, a PhD, and I even stayed on for a postdoc there. I grew up about 30 minutes from Michigan, and it just uh, never applied to any other school. So that's where I started. I did mechanical engineering there. Uh, I didn't really plan on going on for a PhD. I actually planned to be a physician. Uh, but uh, I got involved in research early on um, with a couple of bioengineers, Scott Hollister and Steve Goldstein, in uh, the orthopedic research labs. And that was 30 years ago, so uh, bioengineering didn't really exist back then. It was really quite new. And there were very few bioengineering departments, and companies really didn't know what to make of a bioengineer. You know, they, were you a biologist or were you an engineer? They really couldn't figure it out. So I ended up doing my PhD in mechanical engineering. And when Georgia Tech hired me, they, uh, they said, that's great, you're a great engineer, but you don't know a whole lot of biology. So how about doing a postdoc and we'll pay for it. And that's how I ended up doing a postdoc in molecular biology before going down and starting my, my uh, tenure track position at Georgia Tech. Very, <laughs> that's very cool. So was there um, a moment that you knew that you wanted to focus in regenerative medicine or was there something that, um, you know, excited you specifically about that where you said, yes, this is it, this is, this is where I want to be? 
Yeah, I, I do remember that. I was, uh, you know, that was the beginning of tissue. We called it tissue engineering back then, but uh, that was the beginning of tissue engineering regenerative medicine. And I remember I was in uh, more of the field of mechanobiology. So I was trying to understand how mechanical factors influence tissue healing and things like that. And I remember uh, a, a fac young faculty member coming in and giving a lecture from, from Rice, Tony Nikos, who uh, you, you probably know. Yeah, and one of our Tony, grantees, actually. Yeah, one of your grantees. So Tony was a you know, young guy back then. Uh, but a little older than me, and he was talking about biomaterial scaffolds. And I thought, what a great way to apply my knowledge in mechanics and materials to something that could benefit patients. And so that's how I got started. And, uh, and then when I went to Georgia Tech, it turned out that one of the leaders of the tissue engineering field there, Bob Neerum, um, was the person who recruited me. And kind of a funny story, I, I got there and I honestly hadn't done a whole lot in tissue engineering, but he asked me to give my first lecture to the advisory board. And he said, well, what's the title of your, your talk? And I said, well, it's bone tissue engineering. And he said, oh, I didn't know you did tissue engineering. I said, of course I do tissue engineering. Everybody does tissue engineering. And that was the beginning of uh, me moving into that field. And we subsequently got a, a $40 million center grant from NSF. And that kind of kind of got me on my way. So uh, during your career, you've uh, you've been around some uh, pretty well-known people in in the field, uh, of course, which you are one of those. And uh, I know you've mentored a lot of people uh, yourself at this point. But um, in your career, from your education to your early academic positions, who have been the important mentors for you? The people that have really helped direct your career. Yeah, I would say, you know, starting was uh, a guy named Steve Goldstein, who was uh, uh, in the orthopedics department at Michigan. And he was the guy when I went around knocking on doors, trying to find a research experience, his enthusiasm just kind of pulled me in. And he started me working with an orthopedic surgeon, and we published a paper together as an undergrad. And that's really what got me into research, pulled me, you know, kind of away from med school and put me on the path that I'm on. So that's one of the things I do now is we run uh, these undergraduate, we call them undergraduate scholars programs, where we pay for undergrads to do a full year research experience, just so they can explore that as, as a, you know, a career path, uh, whether they like it or they don't. So Goldstein, certainly. Uh, a guy named Scott Hollister was a young, younger professor at Michigan and ended up being one of my co-advisors and Scott and I became friends and started my first company together. I've now started six companies, but uh, Scott and I did one at, when I was a graduate student there. Um, that company back then was actually one of the early companies that did 3D printing. So we were converting medical images into fi files that you could do 3D printing from and computational models from. And again, that was 30 years ago. So it was, uh, that, was, that was new stuff back then. Yeah. Um, and actually that software is still sold today. It's used in the automotive industry for uh, making models of, of manufactured parts on the, on the automotive lines. Wow. So Scott certainly was a very influential person, but clearly the person who was really the most influential for me was Bob Neerum. Um, Bob was really a builder of interdisciplinary research teams that was you know, tackling big impactful challenges in science, health, and technology. He was the guy who hired me and uh, in, 
see, I rose through the ranks at Georgia Tech, and then in 2009, I became director of the Institute following in his footsteps. And that was really my dream position, was really to take on the, uh, the role of my, my mentor and my, my hero sort of in the field. And uh, Myron, you may know, Bob Miram unfortunately passed away. Yes, I, I, so we, we lost I do. So we in the field. So uh, I was fortunate to have him here in my home a couple of times and really a super kind person, amazing guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, you've been involved in research now three decades and um, looking back in regenerative medicine, if you could just pick two or three things that you think are amazing developments, maybe almost unimaginable two decades ago that uh, now are an integral part of things that, that, that we use and have a lot of promise for the future. What are, what are two big things? Well, I, would, I guess the two I would probably pick um, are, you know, one is more of a, a materials advancement and the other is in the more biological um, frame. And, uh, you know, and you could probably pick a couple in the biological frame. Certainly gene editing is, is massively important. Um, but the, the discovery of induced pluripotential stem cells for me was really sort of transformative. I, re I remember, you know, when we, uh, we started doing stem cell work in Georgia, uh, there wasn't a lot of understanding of what different stem cells were. People didn't understand there were adult stem cells versus embryonic stem cells. And so we had to kind of be careful uh, talking about our research a little bit because people just assumed when you talked about stem cells, you were talking about embryonic stem cells. Right. And so there was some, you know, there was some potential sensitivities and uh, obviously uh, real ethical concerns about some types of stem cells. And as you've noticed, that debate has really almost completely fizzled away. And, and that is because of the discovery in 2006 that University of Wisconsin and Japan by two separate labs that you could induce adult skin cells to become very, very similar to an embryonic stem cell. And so that, you know, that's, that's just an amazing discovery that um, has enabled uh, lots of different directions of research, also a lot of clinical trials, opening up uh, paths of, of therapeutics that don't have this uh, additional uh, ethical concern associated with them. So that, that would certainly be one. The other, you know, is really the subject of, of my latest startup company um, is 3D printing. I think 3D printing at its, at its beginning maybe was kind of cool and maybe a little bit of helpful for surgical planning and things like that. But now it's extended to the point where we can actually make functional materials that we implant in, in humans. And what's amazing about that is it's reduced the innovation cycle time from seven to 10 years for a new device down to just a matter of weeks. Well, we can design a new implant with a physician, print it and put it in the patient. And so that's, I think, uh, amazing. And I, I think the uh, recent crisis that we've had with COVID is uh, pointed to that even further when you see the fact that, you know, having uh, big supplies of materials like PPEs has really not been all that effective. And so having a nimble way to manufacture things in real time, like with 3D printing, is so useful in, in many different ways. Um, 
It is very, it is exciting. I remember, um, I remember seeing something um, or, or hearing something years ago about how one day we'll be able to 3D print new sneakers every time we want to go running, which is maybe something that the Nike campus is going to be <laughs> on top of. And, you know, far, far thinking, but uh, um, I just always had that image of, you know, just going and printing what you need. And, and we're not so far from printing what we need at this point. Which That's actually exciting. already being done for elite athletes. I think it'll, really? oh yeah, it'll, it'll, really? it'll probably be uh, in, in the consumer market before long. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's, that's exciting. I, I mean, just so, so far out of what we would, you know, I, when I think of 3D printing, I think of medical uses. I don't think of consumer uses and I guess more and more that's becoming a, a reality. Yep, absolutely. So. So what do you see, you know, and, um, you know, aside from research funding, which is always, I think, the biggest impediment to moving things forward, what other, what hurdles do you see in the foreseeable future um, in, in this field? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, funding for sure. So that's, you know, a great role that the Osteoscience Foundation is, is uh, helping to fill uh, that void. Um, if you look at our funding of science and technology relative to the rest of the world, it's actually been flat or declining from, from federal sources. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the role of foundations and philanthropy and industry has taken on much greater importance. Um, and so, you know, again, maybe a minor silver lining from uh, the COVID crisis is just a recognition of how important it is to keep investing in science and technology. There is a, yeah. a proposal for the National Science Foundation to increase its funding significantly, going beyond funding fundamental work, which it does so well, to also include innovation and technology. And I certainly hope that that goes through. So funding mm -hmm. is certainly one thing. Um, I think finding the right balance between healthcare innovation and a sustainable healthcare system is going to be really important as we go forward. You know, some of the things that we're working on are really exciting and potentially beneficial to patients, but could also be hugely expensive and not compatible with our healthcare system. Right. You, know, you know, one of the things that we're working on now that I started right before I left Georgia Tech to go to the University of Oregon um, was a, a um, cell manufacturing center, which uh, the goal of that is really to bring up the quality, but also bring down the cost of cell manufacturing so that those those therapies can be available to a wider range of people. Um, and then I'll, I'll say maybe just two other quick things. One is, I think it's really important that we continue to train the next generation of scientists and attract them to the field um, and that they can understand and execute on what I call the impact cycle. I think it's the most successful research are people that can go from the fundamental stage to translate out into the clinical practice and commercial realm and then raise more ideas and go back and do more fundamental work. There's too many people that think of this as an either or, and it's really a cycle. And that's really what we need to be training our next generation in. And then the last thing I'll just mention is, I think more and more as we develop these new te technologies, effectively integrating communications and bioethics into our science, uh, both you know, with the researchers, but also certainly the students not only makes the science better, but I think it informs the public in a way that science is better trusted and better understood. So Bob, you've met, <clears throat> excuse me, you've mentioned that uh, you've been involved in uh, the development of, of six companies and given the, uh, the funding restrictions, um, 
obviously corporate support can be a vital part of, of developing new technologies, uh, can speed things up. And obviously there's some combination of uh, things that they know and technical abilities that they have combined with, with yours. Um, can you just comment on what you think the, the future is there um, continuing to combine um, university and uh, academic based research with um, uh, corporations that have the same interests? Yeah, I've always included uh, some industry sponsored work in, in what I've done. And that really goes back to my days at Michigan. That was something that Steve Goldstein had as a part of uh, his program is having industry partnerships. And I think those public private partnerships have become even more important over time. Part of it is the funding level, but part of it is just, just like, you know, being um, communicating with clinicians, researchers don't really necessarily have a good idea of what they should be working on if you're not talking to the practitioners who are the clinicians and are the, you know, the industry members. And then more and more, uh, a lot of our uh, big funding opportunities actually require public-private partnerships. And so, you know, if you want to be playing in those, those big opportunities to work on big problems, you need to be talking to industry because that is where, that's where the sustainable funding and, and maturation of the technologies is going to happen. They may start in academia, but they're going to finish in industry if they're going to be successful and make it into our patients. And so many of the funding agencies, Department of Defense, National Science Foundation, et cetera, have recognized that and, and basically have made it a part of the, the application process that you need to have your industry partners lined up if you want to have a chance of getting this funding. And so that's, that's also very important. And the last thing I'll mention is just, again, training the next generation. One of the mistakes we make in academia is to often think that, you know, the best pathway for our students is to become professors and scientists like us. And that may not be the case. In fact, you know, most of them are actually going to go off and work in industry. And so those are sometimes different skill sets. And we need to make sure that they're being exposed to those, those opportunities. In the Knight campus, which I didn't really talk about at the beginning, I, I'm, I moved in 2018 to start an amazing new opportunity at the University of Oregon uh, called the Knight campus um, that's been funded with the largest gift ever to a public institution by, by uh, Phil and Penny Knight, $500 million gift, um, to start a new applied science and engineering campus. And one of, the, one of the things we're doing on this campus is we have a master's internship program that I'm really proud of. Um, it's very, very nimble. It's based completely on industry needs. Basically, we go out, ask industry, what is it that you need? And we come back and we design a master's program around that. Um, and, and the students take six months of intensive coursework in those area, areas, and then they go off and do a nine-month internship with the companies. Wow. And we have about a 98% placement rate with the, with those students in those companies when they're done. So it's a, it's a win-win all the way around, very industry focused and, and very nimble. We just, we have five tracks right now and we can form or close tracks as the industry needs uh, uh, evolve. Fantastic. That, that um, you know, it, as you're talking, it reminds me of how um, one of the, the guiding principles at Osteo Science Foundation is that the research that we're funding, um, we want to make sure that it has a, a direct positive uh, patient outcome impact so that it's not just funding research for the sake of funding research, but that there's a goal of having improved patient outcomes and, and better 
better techniques, better procedures, better materials. And I, I think it's really interesting how the program that you're working with there at, uh, in Oregon is kind of taking that to the next level, sort of saying, you know, okay, well, that's, it's a good philosophy. How do we actually put that into practice? How do we, how do we get that to the point where we're not just, you know, sitting in towers and, and having great scientific conversations, but actually making something happen from that, which is really exciting. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's a, that mission is exactly why I was interested in working with the Osteoscience Foundation from the beginning. That's, that's great. So, um, you know, speaking of the, of the um, campus in Oregon, what are some of the, um, the, the major steps or goals um, that the campus is planning over the next five years or say? Well, you know, what are some of the initiatives that you're planning on uh, uh, launching or expanding upon? Yeah, it's been a it's an, been an amazing opportunity. I mean, first of all, Oregon is an absolutely beautiful place to, to live. Um, hasn't been a bad place to ride out a pandemic. We, we fortunately <laughs> have a number of cases here, um, but um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to do when you're starting a campus from scratch. So the first thing is building a building, and um, we're we're opening an absolutely amazing building uh, in July. We've been able to continue with the construction. Um, it's, right. it's designed for, you know, obviously interdisciplinary work, but we've got incubator space built into it for startup companies. Uh, a lot of elements basically to try and, I talked about the impact cycle earlier, basically what we're trying to do is identify friction points on that cycle and ease them so that we, the, the researchers can move faster around that cycle and not only catalyze new discoveries, but then move them around towards uh, implementation and translation more quickly. So that's a major goal, setting up the innovation entrepreneurship facilities and programs and so forth. And then really hiring great people, hiring great faculty and, and yeah. students is really my number one priority. Um, I've only been on the job now a little less than two years and we've already hired eight faculty that will be moving into the new building with me. So. That's great. Great. <clears throat> well, just to kind of finish up, I don't want to eat up your whole morning here, but you know, you have a, a, a lot of responsibilities. You're the director of this amazing expanding institution with an incredible support. You're a researcher, you're a teacher, you're involved with, uh, you know, companies that, that, that uh, you've started and, and deal with. Um, so I know you have a lot of balls that you're juggling at one time. Um, starting next Monday, COVID things aside, if the world were back to normal, what what's your ideal week? What what's a week look like for you? You know, administratively, research wise, teaching. How do you, how do you juggle all that and come home feeling satisfied? Yeah, well, I'm you know, for me, it involves uh, some sort of physical activity for sure, um, and that's one of the things I enjoy here. I, I've gotten into trail running, so probably a little trail running would be uh, would be in the mix there for for a perfect week. Uh, my one of my pandemic purchases I got is I got a, a new uh, espresso maker, so there'd probably be some espresso making. In there. <laughs> That's um, a good one. Yeah, and uh, and of course we live in the middle of uh, Pinot Noir country, so I'd probably have to have a glass of wine occasionally. <laughs> but beyond but beyond that, in terms of work, um, really it's the program building that keeps you know gets me up in the morning. And so one of the things I did at Georgia Tech was create what I call a foundation for faculty to coalesce and form new centers. And when, when I started as the director of the Institute there, we had one center like that. And when I left, we had 19 within the Institute. 
and I'm trying to do that here too. So, you know, forging partnerships, both uh, regionally, you know, within the state of Oregon, but nationally as well, uh, and internationally to go after these big uh, opportunities where you can really make an impact in an interdisciplinary way. That's, that's really the thing that gets me up in the morning. Uh, that and spending time with students and mentoring them. Fantastic, that's fantastic. That's great. Well, I, I guess I only have one, one more question for you. Um, and, uh, and that would be, you know, as, as we're starting this program. So um, I guess I, I should mention also that the um, concept of our, of our podcast uh, series is intended to be in tandem with a webinar series. So I know that you've created a webinar for us and, and we'll be putting those together. So thank you for doing that. And for those uh, who are listening and have only heard the podcast, I encourage you to also <laughs> listen to the webinar because it's really interesting. And um, I, I think that each, each series that we have um, brings a slightly different uh, slightly different focus and a different tilt. Um, so, uh, so I so first was an invitation to our listeners to also uh, take advantage of the of the educational opportunities we have. But who would you recommend um, that we reach out to for a similar podcast webinar? Um, who who do you think we should um, hear from? Who who would be a good match for us? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Well, I guess maybe a couple people come to mind. Um, there's a, a colleague at Tufts University, Pam Yellick, who uh, you may be familiar with. In fact, I don't we, know if yeah. we've funded a project for yeah. her, so we're very she, familiar with yeah. Pam. Okay, yeah, regenerative medicine for for uh, making new teeth uh, is really interesting stuff. Yeah. I think Pam would be interesting. Um, another name I'll give you from Johns Hopkins. Uh, we just actually had do a seminar, of course, remotely because that's how we're doing everything now. Uh, but Jennifer Alicia from Johns Hopkins is uh, a person who's really done a terrific job translating uh, regenerative medicine technologies into companies. And oh, so that's she, interesting. Yeah, she was part of our entrepreneurship speaker series. And, uh, and Jennifer was just elected to both the National Academy of Medicine and the National Academy of Engineering. So she's, wow. she's a really uh, dynamic yeah. person, good speaker. Sounds like somebody we should know. Right. Well, Bob, thank you so much for uh, taking your time, not only for the, the webinar um, and for the podcast today, but for all of the contributions that uh, you've made during the time that you've been associated with the foundation. And uh, uh, we hope to stay in touch and keep you involved and uh, wish you all the best out there as uh, things progress in Oregon and hope that life gets back to normal for us so we can all get in touch personally at some point. Yeah, I was thinking we, we I'd like to invite us uh, to uh, to that campus there once it's done. It sounds like it's a pretty amazing space and I, I know I'd love to see it. So you are, you are definitely invited and I think we should uh, organize an Osteoscience Foundation meeting out here in Oregon. I think that we should definitely take you up on that. <laughs> that sounds it. great. Great to see you both well, and I uh, hope to you. see you again soon in person. Thank you. Thank you very much. To learn more about Osteoscience Foundation, visit osteoscience.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.